Blessed Resurrection Sunday from Whitcomb Ministries and Encounter God's Truth. Today is Easter, the first day of a new era, and that's our theme with special guest teacher, Dr. Woodrow Kroll. You may remember that Dr. Kroll joined us last year for Easter, and you can find the wonderful messages he brought then at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. We continue that new tradition this week and next, welcoming Dr. Kroll back to talk to us about this most meaningful day. Many of us listened to Dr. Kroll throughout his 23 years as president and senior Bible teacher for the international radio broadcast, Back to the Bible. He now serves the Lord through Woodrow Kroll Ministries and as a teacher for the Helios Projects, by which he provides biblical training to pastors all around the world, many of which have no formal theological education. Like Dr. John Whitcomb, Dr. Kroll has invested his life in learning and sharing how God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. I'm Wayne Shepherd. It's a great joy to have you with us for this time of celebration. Dr. Crow will take us through Mark 16, showing how this disciple's account of the resurrection entails a number of firsts, which demonstrate how we are to understand and respond to the Easter message. So it's my privilege to introduce our guest teacher, Dr. Woodrow Kroll. In order for the world to be where we are today, there had to be some firsts. 490 B.C., Greek legend says that Pheidippides, a Greek messenger, ran from the Battle of Marathon to Athens to declare Greece had won. He collapsed and died after delivering the message. And that was the first marathon. In 1455, the Gutenberg Bible was the first book printed with movable metal type. It was printed by Johannes Gutenberg, who was the inventor of the printing press. It was the first book ever printed. In 1911, Marie Curie became the first person ever to win two Nobel Prizes. She was also the first female Nobel Prize winner in physics and chemistry. And in 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary, with his Sherpa guide, Tenzig Norgay, became the first men to climb Mount Everest. It's a first. In 1971, Ray Tomlinson of the United States developed the first electronic communication message between two computers. We call it email. (laughs) And in 2007, the year of the smartphone, Apple launched the first iPhone and changed the way people use computers and phones forever. They produced an overpriced device that they encourage you to buy the latest model each year or two in order to keep up with your friends. All those were important firsts. Now, I want to talk with you today about the first day of a new era, which makes this first even more important than the ones I've already mentioned. There are important days that mark the beginning of something entirely new, such as July 21st, 1969, the day, along with Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong took that first small step for mankind, and a new era of space travel began. Or October 31st, 1517, the day a monk named Martin Luther tacked his 95 theses on the church door at Wittenberg, and the Protestant Reformation began. These and other firsts began new eras. But no first day of a new era was as large as the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So let's investigate together how this new era began. Mark 16 gives us the full story of the firsts. 
Number one, the first to the tomb, according to Mark 16, 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. These women were the first people to the empty tomb. Now, I think that's important. Mary Magdalene was Jesus' most faithful disciple. I mean, he cast demons out of her, and she became the most loyal follower he had. She was not a former prostitute. That inquisition about her was started by a pope hundreds of years ago, and it was wrong then, it's wrong today. There were four women named Mary mentioned in the Gospels. First, Mary, the mother of the Lord, of course. And then second, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, or Alphaeus, who was the mother of James, the bishop and apostle, and of Simon and Thaddeus and one Joseph. And third, Mary Salome, wife of Zebedee, mother of John the Evangelist, and James, James and John, the disciples of the Lord. And number four, Mary Magdalene herself. Now, the Mary mentioned here is number two, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, or Alphaeus, the mother of James, the bishop and apostle. So we have Mary Magdalene, we have Mary, the mother of James, and we have Salome, who is number three, actually Mary, number three, the wife of Zebedee, mother of James and John, two of Jesus' closest and most beloved disciples, part of his inner circle. The disciples and their families were a very close-knit group. The mothers of the disciples were the first to the tomb after Jesus rose from the dead. That's the first, first of the new era. Now, here's the second first of this new era. It's the first problem encountered. Verses 2 and 3 of Mark 16 say, And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, They went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? See, the first problem these faithful women encountered was a huge problem. The Gospels report that this was a megas stone, meaning it was very large. It was a heavy stone. It was a stone these three women could not possibly roll away from the face of the tomb. This was the first problem encountered in this new era, the problem of rolling away the stone. Now, that brings us to number three, the third first, and that is the first open door of the gospel. Verse four says this, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. There's an old song that I remember singing many, many years ago, and you may remember it too if you're my age or pretty close to that. It says, got any problems you think are impossible? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. What he did for them, he'll do for you. See, Opening the first door of the gospel required a supernatural removal of the stone. And the open door of the gospel today in the 21st century, I think is also going to require something supernatural. And here's the reason why. Weekly church attendance 
has become a problem in these years of the 21st century. Now, you could spell that word weekly, either W-E-E-K-L-Y or W-E-A-K-L-Y. Weekly church attendance worldwide is, is pretty abysmal. Sweden, it's only 6%. Norway, 7%. In the United Kingdom, it's only 8%. Germany, 10%. France, 12%. Now, the USA is a whopping 39% compared to Europe. But before we're smitten with unwarranted pride, Brazil is 45%. We're only 39%. South Africa is 55%. Uganda is 82%. And Nigeria is 89%. And I think the real knife to the heart is this. Christians attending church in Egypt. 62% of the Christian population. In Pakistan, 59%. In Turkey, 44%. And in Iran, 38%. The U.S. beats Islamic Iran by only one percentage point. Now, U.S. church attendance statistics are pretty bad as well. The U.S. religious landscape continues to change at an accelerated pace. In the last 10 years, the number of Americans who attended church services around once or twice a month declined by 7%. And conversely, the number of American Christians who attended church less frequently has increased by 7%. We're going the wrong direction, folks. As recently as 2009, those attending church once or twice a month was larger than those attending only occasionally, or not at all. However, those numbers are inverted today. 54% of Americans now say they attend church a few times a year compared to those who attend at least monthly, 45%. And here's something. 59% of millennials who were born with a religious affiliation, born in a Christian home, tend to unplug from the church. 59%. Only two of 10 millennials consider church attendance important. 35% of all millennials think church does more harm than it does good. 45% of Gen Z Americans say they rarely or never attend church. And here's the most shocking statistic of all. 80% of the women decide if a family attends church or not. 80%. That's an amazing statistic. It's Resurrection Sunday, and you're listening to Encounter God's Truth, a weekly radio and internet outreach of Whitcomb Ministries. We're sharing a special message for the holiday weekend from guest speaker Dr. Woodrow Kroll. You can hear this program again and find additional Easter messages by Dr. John Whitcomb at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. Now, let's go back to Dr. Kroll for the conclusion of our lesson. Okay, uh, we've investigated the first people to the empty tomb, the three women. We've investigated the first problem they encountered, removing the great stone, and the first open door to the gospel. The stone was already removed. The door was open. 
Now, let's investigate the first good news of this story. This is Mark 16, verses 5 and 6. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, that the tomb was empty is the first good news these women and other disciples had likely seen since a week ago, Sunday, at Jesus' triumphal entry. I hate to take you back to elementary or high school English class, but to appreciate this first good news, I have to do so. Notice carefully what the angel said to the woman. This is Grammar 101. Here we go. He said, do not be alarmed. That's present tense. Don't be alarmed at this very moment. In other words, don't be afraid. Right now, don't be afraid. Then he said, you seek Jesus of Nazareth. Also present tense. See, they were at the tomb seeking to anoint the body of Jesus. That's why they were there. And that's why they're there right now. Present tense. But then the angel says to them, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. That's past tense. Jesus was not now being crucified. He will never again be crucified. His crucifixion is over. It is past tense, friends. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. And then he goes on to say, he has risen. That's also past tense. He is not presently rising from the dead, for he already has risen. At some point in the hours Jesus was in that tomb, he came back to life and rose from the dead. Past action. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, past tense. He has risen, past tense. And then the angel says, he is not here, present tense. See, Jesus was crucified. He has risen. But right now, the tomb is empty. Jesus is gone. At that very moment and forevermore, Jesus has risen from the dead. He is not here. Finally, the angel says to the three women, See the place where they laid him. Present tense, see the place. Past tense, where they laid him. So right now, the angel invites the women to look into the burial chamber and see for themselves that the stone upon which Jesus' dead body had been laid was vacant. Jesus was gone. Jesus is alive. The angel invites the women to be the first people, to be, to be the first eyewitnesses of the empty tomb. Now, from these four present tense verbs, and especially the three past tense verbs, we learn all we need to know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Those three past tense verbs are, he was crucified three days earlier, 
He has risen some point in the past in the three days from the place where they laid him three days earlier. For the women, trembling and astonished as they were, it was case closed. They were eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. The first good news is going to be told by the angel to the women and by the women to the disciples and by the disciples to the world. That's the Easter story. That's what the resurrection of Jesus is all about. It's the first day of a new era. The first good news. But the first good news has to get out somehow. And that brings us to the first commission to spread the gospel. I said it's the first day of a new era. And here's the first commission. But let me ask you this first. Do you know what comes before Matthew 28, 18 to 20. You know Matthew 28. It's the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But do you know what comes before that great commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20? What comes before is Matthew 28, 5 to 8, which says, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he, the Lord, lays, where they laid him. Then, and here's the commission, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. I like that. Fear and great joy. What a mixture of emotions they had that day. Now, we're reading the resurrection story from Mark 16 today. Do you know what came before Mark 16, 15? Verse 15 says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Do you know what came before 16, 15? I'll tell you, it's Mark 16, 6 and 7, which says, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He isn't here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. See, the first ones to announce that the Messiah had been born were not kings or prophets. They were humble shepherds. Luke 2, 16 to 18. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Now listen. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Everybody wondered. 
They were astonished. They were amazed. And the first ones to announce that the Savior had risen from the dead, well, they weren't kings or priests. They were just humble women. Matthew 28, 5. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where they lay him. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has been risen from the dead. (laughs) Yep, that's the first commission. Come, see the place where they lay him. Then go quickly. And tell his disciples. Now, I hope this stays on the sticky side of your mind, my friends. The commission given first to these three women was twofold. Come and see. Go and tell. Come and see. Go and tell. Come, see that the, t- the tomb is empty. Look for yourself. Become an eyewitness. Look in here and see that that slab of stone is empty. Jesus is gone. Make sure you have that straight in your mind. Get it settled for yourself. Come and see. So that when people come to your door and they say they have a new book or they have a new prophecy or they have a new ministry, you would be able in your own mind to say, forget it. I have in my own mind been to that empty tomb and I've seen for myself. Because I have come and seen, I can now go and quickly tell others. Come and see. Go and tell. Look, you cannot come and see. You cannot stay at the tomb. You have to go and tell at some point. Oh, we'd all like to stay in church, wouldn't we? But at some point, we have to leave the doors of the church, go out through them into the world, to go and tell. And a lot of people are anxious to go and tell, but they go and tell before they come and see. They they don't have it straight in their mind. They haven't read enough of God's word to be able to answer the hard questions of life. So come and see, go and tell. That's the first commission. And that brings us to the first emotions telling the story. That's verse eight. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. (laughs) Now, trembling we can understand, given the circumstances. But astonishment? That takes a little more thought. Jesus often astonished people. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7. through After Jesus taught about the Beatitudes, after salt and light, After he said, love your enemies, after the Lord's prayer, after laying up your treasures in heaven, after the golden rule, after building your house upon a rock, Matthew 7, 28, after all of those things, concludes the Sermon on the Mount with these words. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. They were astonished. Now, apparently, the scribes uh, were the equivalent of today's university professors. They didn't teach anything with much authority. They were never sure of anything. 
And like some professors today, they had emerged from the most recent forum or colloquy or symposium and imbibed the latest thinking. Jesus, on the other hand, spoke a message from God, and he was quite sure about his words. And that astonished people. And that leads me to the final first of this first day of a new era, the first response. Listen to this, verse 9 through 14. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them, and they were not believing. And they went back and told the rest, but they would not believe. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves, and they were reclining at a table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed what they saw, who saw him after he had risen. Folks, Jesus said, if you don't believe because of my words, believe because of the things I have done. Do you need a little belief today? A little more faith? Are you a bit fearful today? Do you wish you had more faith or that your faith was stronger? If you do, do these two things. Number one, pray and ask God to give you more faith. He will if you ask him. And two, keep your eyes open for those events around you that will build your faith. Watch God at work. Watch him and your faith will be strong. Watch him and your faith will be strong. That was our friend, Dr. Woodrow Kroll, our special guest teacher for this Easter season here on Encounter God's Truth. 